Jeremiah 37. Jeremiah 37. Jeremiah 37. It's kind of tough here because first time I went through this, I thought we were going to do a good chunk of 38. Second time I went through this, we're only going to do 37, so we split the difference. We're doing half of 38. Um, what happens here from Jeremiah 37 on, it's really from about Jeremiah 37 to roughly, where does it end? About Jeremiah 4950, I think. It's one continuous fault. And I really hate breaking that up into numerous different passages and sermons. So the options were either one, stay here to midnight and do ten chapters, or to break it up, and I decided to break it up. So with that being said, we're going to kind of do here, excuse me, Jeremiah 37 to about halfway through Jeremiah 38. Now, a lot of times here in the book of Jeremiah, the time frame keeps jumping around. That's why it's always so important to look at that first verse, verse 1, where it says, Now King Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, reigned instead of Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made king in the land of Judah. As we've joked out here many times, we start reading that, we see all those names, and our mind just shuts off. The main thing you need to know, this is Zedekiah's reign. Zedekiah was the last king of Judah. This is when the siege happened. This is when Babylon surrounded him. This is the end. So these last ten chapters here, ten, maybe twelve chapters of Jeremiah... This is those final moments in the kingdom of Judah. In fact, we're going to see Jeremiah uh, be sent to Egypt. We're going to see him in prison. We're going to see Jerusalem fall. There's going to be this nice flow for about the next 10, 11, 12 chapters here. So, we're at the end. Here's the problem that we run into. Verse 2. Neither he nor his servants nor the people of the land gave heed to the words of the Lord, which he spoke by the prophet Jeremiah. Verse 2. That's our key verse here for the whole evening. Basically, verse 2 is saying, they didn't listen. One translation just came right out and said that. They didn't listen. They didn't pay attention. Here's the simplest statement you could ever make, according to Christianity. If you don't listen to the Bible and God's Word, you're going to get in trouble. It's that simple. God's Word gives us a a system, a moral, a standard that says, when you follow these rules from Genesis to Revelation, you will keep yourself out of a lot of trouble. When you choose to not heed, not listen, not pay attention, like verse 2 says... You get yourself in trouble, spiritually, physically, emotionally, morally. When somebody comes into my office and their world is falling apart, and you just simply say, why are you doing what the Bible says? No, this is the consequence of that. And it's not trying to be mean, it's not trying to be nasty, but that's the truth. Zedekiah and his reign, his leadership, chose to not obey God. When you don't obey God, bad things happen. So what happens is there's still something. They know they're lacking something. Verse 3, And Zedekiah the king sent Jekyll, the son of Shalemiah, and Zephaniah, the son of Messiah, the priest, to the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Pray now to the Lord our God for us. See, this is the interesting thing. You have somebody, verse 2, whose world is falling apart, but yet they still see something in the Lord that they feel like they need and want and desire, so they want to have that spiritual relationship. As we've said out here before, the most miserable person in the world is a Christian who knows what they should be doing, and they're choosing to not do it. You can't have any joy. You can't have joy in the Lord because there's a conviction of my life is not right, and you can't go have fun in the world because you know too much about the Lord to say, this is not what God would want me to do. So this guy here, Zedekiah, verse 2, ignores God. Everything's falling apart, but verse 3, he's still asking for prayer. One of my favorite stories that's happened in the 13 years I've been a pastor is there was an atheist that asked if I'd pray with him. I just, 
I absolutely love that. Had a big surgery coming up, serious surgery. He was concerned, and he wanted to pray about it. Now, I don't know what he was thinking. I don't know what was going through his heart. But that's what you see. You see that person in verse 2 that chooses to not live their life according to the Bible. The world falls apart, but verse 3, they still want something. They know they're missing. They know they're lacking something. Their life does not have peace. They do not have joy. And I'm willing to bet all of us sitting here tonight know somebody that their life is not lining up with the Bible, but yet there is a part of their heart that realizes something's not right. And they're looking for that answer. That's exactly what was happening with Zedekiah. Why would he, in verse 3, send the messengers to say, pray for us? He knew something wasn't clicking. But, like happens in life a lot, the person that's struggling, you think they hit rock bottom. And you think they hit rock bottom, and you think they're finally going to turn their life over to the Lord. But there's a whole other level of rock bottom that you didn't see coming. Verse 4, Now Jeremiah was coming and going among the people, for they had not yet put him in prison. Then Pharaoh's army, Egypt, came up from Egypt, when the Chaldeans, another word for Babylonians, who were besieging Jerusalem, heard news of them. They departed from Jerusalem. Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Thus you shall say to the king of Judah, who sent you to me, to inquire of me, Behold, Pharaoh's army, which has come up to help you, will return to Egypt, to their own land. And the Chaldeans shall come back and fight against this city, and take it and burn it with fire. Thus says the Lord, Do not deceive yourself, saying the Chaldeans will surely depart from us, for they will not depart. For though you had defeated the whole army of the Chaldeans who fight against you, and there remained only wounded men among them, they would rise up every man in his tent and burn the city with fire. This is what happens, and I've seen this happen so often. Someone's world's falling apart. They, they come to the church, they come to the pastor, they come to the Lord, pray. What happens is their life starts taking a turn for the better, and guess what happens? God gets put on the back burner. You've heard of the phrase, fair-weather fans. A fair-weather fan is the person that follows the team only when their team is doing good. We don't have fair-weather Christians. We have foul-weather Christians. When things go bad in their life, they show up. They want prayer. They want God. Please pray for this. Please help this. But when the foul weather starts becoming good and their life turns around a little bit, they put God on the back burner. Zedekiah is coming to Jeremiah saying, pray for us. But all of a sudden, the Babylonians are surrounding Israel. The Egyptians come up. The Egyptians come up, defeat them. The Babylonians leave. And now all of a sudden, oh yeah, that whole pray for us God thing, we don't really need that anymore because guess what? Our Savior, the Egyptians are here. And they're going to get us through it. I don't know how many times that's happened where you have somebody clinging to the Lord through a difficult time, and then all of a sudden you lose them. And you go to them and you say, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Oh, yeah, I've been meaning to tell you, things are looking up. You, you, know that, you know that girl that I was so upset with, you? we broke up? Well, we're back together now, so everything's wonderful. You know that job? Well, now i got a different job now. And you know, it's like, okay, these are temporary little band-aids that are giving you joy in life. And the issue at heart has never been resolved. One of the things I always do in marriage counseling was a couple comes in for marriage counseling and they're on the brink of it all being over. And you talk to them, then all of a sudden you talk to them later on and it's like, how's it going? Great! But what changed? Well, nothing. Well, if nothing changed, this is a temporary band-aid that you're going to fall into the same traps and patterns that you fell into before. Okay, Egypt came up, Babylon left. Guess what? Babylon's coming back. 
Jeremiah knows this. God knows this. But Zedekiah thinks everything is fine now. Just because it's a good day doesn't mean all your problems are solved. You have to be right with the Lord. Zedekiah never was. Let's stop there real quick. Any quick questions, comments about that before we move on here with the rest of it? Yeah, Ryan. Why would Pharaoh's army come to fight against the Chaldeans? Is it just kind of a regional who'd be in control of Jerusalem? Or was there a pact that alliance? There was an alliance. If you go study out, I believe it's in the book of Isaiah. Um, Jerusalem made a deal with Egypt to basically say, hey, we'll pay you tribute and watch out for us. Egypt at this time was still a minor world power, and so they had their last little success, if you will, at this time. And if you remember correctly in the book of Jeremiah, when Jerusalem falls, all the Jews retreat to Egypt. Egypt and Israel have this little deal going on for a while, and God gets a hold of them and tells them in the book of Isaiah, you're putting your trust in man and not God. So yeah, they had a pact, Israel and Egypt did. Yeah, David. So basically they were using God for their own personal gain. Who, Egypt? Not really even using God for their own personal gain. Egypt basically got paid to watch out for Israel. Babylon at this time knew that Jerusalem wasn't strong enough. It doesn't look like Babylon sent their full army. So when Egypt came in, Egypt was easily able to rout them. Babylon comes back in a little bit full strength and Egypt can't stand it. Babylon then defeats Egypt. They become the world power. So, yeah, Bob. What happened to the king before Zedekiah? Yeah, what happened to the king before Zedekiah, if you want to check that out, it's at the end of Second Kings. It was Jeconiah, if I remember correctly. And Zedekiah, what happened is Jeconiah was reigning in verses 8 to 12, and Nebuchadnezzar came, took Jeconiah, and took him as prisoner and took him back to Babylon. And now Jeconiah actually, if I remember correctly, got to Babylon, and Jeconiah years later was released and treated very well. Zedekiah was put in as king by Babylon with the understanding that Zedekiah would just be a pawn and do everything that Babylon said. When Jerusalem revolted against Babylon, that's why Zedekiah's eyes got put out. That's why his kids were killed, because he rebelled when he wasn't supposed to. So the king before was actually defeated. Jerusalem became a vassal state of Babylon. Egypt comes up, kind of rescues them. Zedekiah thinks he's got all the power. Babylon comes back full strength, defeats Jerusalem takes care of Zedekiah, and uh, and that's where basically the book of Jeremiah kind of ends. So a lot of little history here. Good question. Anybody else got anything? Yeah, surely. Well, I guess I would just disagree with God letting them get their hopes up. I think God gave them an opportunity to say, who are you going to trust, man or me? And what happens in the book of Isaiah is Isaiah makes it abundantly clear. You making a deal with Egypt is not your answer. So it's not, I don't look at it as God getting their hopes up. I look at it as anything as God is making them make a choice. Are you going to choose Egypt or me? Because what could have happened here is they could have looked at this Egypt thing and said, you know, you're right. God gave us mercy and grace, but we're not going to trust the Egyptians anymore. We're going to put our faith and trust in the Lord. And when the Babylonians come back, we're going to do what God says. That's not what they choose not to do. I mean, it's just like anything in life. We say this all the time. You go to the doctor and you get good results. Praise the Lord. You go to the doctor and you get bad results. Praise the Lord. God hasn't changed 
based on the results. God has not changed based on Egypt winning or losing or Babylon winning or losing. His plan is still the same. They're choosing not to trust the plan. Non-believers get flat tires and so do Christians. You know, Egypt came up, did their part. That's what they were paid to do. That was the deal. But they're not the Savior. Only God is. Anybody else got any other questions here before we move on? So we leave it as Zedekiah wanted help. Egypt actually came up and helped him. Zedekiah doesn't need the Lord anymore. Jeremiah's vision, if you will, Jeremiah's prophecy is verses 9 and 10. Babylon's still coming. What happens now? Verse 11, And it happened when the army of the Chaldeans left the siege of Jerusalem for fear of Pharaoh's army, that Jeremiah went out of Jerusalem to go into the land of Benjamin to claim his property there among the people. Verse 12, if you remember all the way back to chapter 1, Jeremiah lived in the land of Benjamin. Basically, the army's gone. We can kind of get back normal. Verse 13, when he was in the gate of Benjamin, a captain of the guard was there whose name was Erejah, the son of Shemeliah, the son of Hananiah. And he seized Jeremiah, the prophet, saying, you are defecting to the Chaldeans. Then Jeremiah said, false. I'm not defecting to the Chaldeans, but he did not listen to him. So Erejah seized Jeremiah and brought him to the princess. Therefore, the princes were angry with Jeremiah, and they struck him and put him in prison in the house of Jonathan the scribe, for they had made that the prison. When Jeremiah entered the dungeon of the cells, and Jeremiah had remained there many days, and Zedekiah the king sent and took him out, the king asked him secretly in his house and said, Is there any word from the Lord? Now, let's just stop here for a second. So what's going on? The battle's over for a moment, if you will. Jeremiah, we don't know why. It looks like he's going back to his home area, maybe to take care of some business. We don't know. They see him leaving, and so they say, Hey, wait a second. You're trying to escape. You're defecting. You're going to Babylon. You're the Babylon lover. Jeremiah says, No, that's false. That's a lie. Verse 14. They said, We don't believe it. We don't like you. So now what's going to happen? They beat him. Verse 15. They throw him in prison. Now, there's a lot of things in here. Number one, and I think this is such a simple point. Look at Jeremiah's response in verse 14. They make a very strong accusation against him. You are defecting to the Babylonians, verse 14. Jeremiah says, false. I am not defecting to the Babylonians. Some of your translations say it is a lie. That's not true. Jeremiah doesn't get into this war of words with him. I think this is sometimes what we fail as a Christian to do. We know we're right. We know the truth is on our side. So when someone brings up a false accusation against us, we go down to their level and we get into some nasty word argument with them on I'm right, you're wrong, and this is how I know I'm right. If you look throughout the Bible, there's a lot of references to when somebody approaches you with something that's not true. The simple answer is just to say, that is a lie. One of my favorite responses is in Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter 6, they come up to Nehemiah and they accuse Nehemiah of all these lies. Nehemiah's response, you are inventing these things in your head. What a simple response. Don't go down to their level. I had a situation that happened one time out here. Somebody called me up on the phone, made some really horrible accusations against me and Dawn and the church. Every ounce of my flesh wanted to get into this word battle with them and say, well, where did you get this from? Who's doing this? And they were making these comments like, well, you know, I've talked to people at church. And my thought is no one likes you. They're not talking to you at church in the first spot. You know, that's what you're thinking. And your flesh wants to go down to that level and say, well, what are they saying? What are you saying? God got a hold of me and has told the Lord, thank the Lord. I just quoted that verse in Nehemiah. I didn't say, Nehemiah 6 says... I just simply said, these things are not true. You're inventing them in your mind. 
you know how hard it is to argue with somebody who doesn't want to argue? The guy wanted to argue. I'm not going to do that. Jeremiah, you're defecting to the Babylonians. He could have said, me? I'm the only one in Israel that loves the Lord. I'm the only one talking to him. Are you talking to God? God's not talking to you. I mean, Jeremiah could have said, don't you remember 10 chapters ago, the whole dirty underwear thing? I had to go through that. You didn't. Remember that? He says, no. He just says, it's false. It's not true. Just remember that the next time someone wants you to get into this argument, sometimes the most Christian response can be is, those things you're saying are not true. Be done. Well, I have to defend myself. I have to. Sometimes you don't. You know the truth. God knows the truth. Now, there are times in the Bible where people then do go to the next step and say, well, let me tell you why those situations are not true. There are times Paul does a great defense of himself in Corinthians. Where Paul basically says in Corinthians, listen, you pushed me to do this. I don't want to do that, but I'm going to give you my resume since you're pushing me. But there's a lot of times in the Bible where the biblical answer is just to say, that's not true. And I'm not going down to that level. Jeremiah just says, false. Just just ask yourself this question. Do you find yourself getting into a lot of arguments with people? You trying to win your point. You're trying to disprove their point. How much fruit comes out of that? Sometimes just keep it simple. That's not true. It's a lie. It's false. I'm moving on. That's what Jeremiah did. So what happens? He gets thrown into prison. They throw him into prison. Verse 15, they beat him. Now you may say, well, that doesn't sound like a great answer. (laughs) Jeremiah had the truth on his side. Guess what happens when he's in prison? Verse 16, out of nowhere, Zedekiah comes. Zedekiah's back. You ever met a Zedekiah like that? I call him boomerangs. They leave, and you think you lost them, and next thing you know, you better duck, because they're coming right back at you with more questions, more whatever. I just had somebody call me up out of the blue, having been out here to church in years. They're like, you know, I was just thinking and praying about something. What do you think about this? Zedekiah, you want to be available. So Zedekiah comes and says, verse 17, is there any word from the Lord? Jeremiah says, there is. Now, We know what Jeremiah is going to do. He's going to speak the truth. But there is an element here where Jeremiah could have just simply said, Boy, Zedekiah, you're right. Babylon's gone. Look what you did. Good job. You're a great king. Can I get out? No, he doesn't. Verse 17. There is that he said, You shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. See, that's truth. Somebody made a great point. I think it was last Wednesday where we have too often we speak sympathy rather than scripture. And and that really hit me this week of how many times when I'm talking about the Lord, I'm not as truthful as I could be because I don't want to hurt feelings and I don't want to hurt relationships. I'm not, I'm just going to be loving and say, you know what? That's just not right. And I got to tell you, that's not right. That lifestyle you're choosing to live does not honor God. And I got to tell you that because I care about you. Jeremiah had to say in verse 17, You will be delivered. Verse 18, Moreover, Jeremiah said to King Zedekiah, What offense have I committed against you, against your servants, or against this people that you have put me in prison? Where now are your prophets who prophesied to you, saying, The king of Babylon will not come against you or against this land? Now, I I don't take this as Jeremiah saying, I told you so. I think this is Jeremiah saying, Listen, listen, what have I done? What have I done wrong to deserve this? Where are the people that said Babylon wouldn't win? That was from a few chapters ago, verse 20. Therefore, please hear now, O my lord, the king, please that my petition be accepted before you, and do not make me return to the house of Jonathan the scribe, lest I die there. Jeremiah just comes out and states facts. 
The false prophets said this, they're wrong. Where are the people that are proclaiming Babylon wouldn't win? They're wrong. He goes, don't send me back. That's not the right thing to do. Verse 21, then Zedekiah the king commanded that they should commit Jeremiah to the court of the prison and that they should give him daily a piece of bread from the baker street until all the bread in the city was gone. Thus Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. Zedekiah is teaching us here how weak of a man he is. It's kind of like when you study out Pilate. You know, I remember when I first started learning about Pilate and Jesus in the New Testament, I used to think Pilate was this... I don't know, this guy that wanted to take a moral stand and that he was kind of a good guy but caught in a bad situation. When you really study out Pilate, he's just weak. He's a weak man that won't stand for the truth. His wife comes and tells him Jesus is innocent. Pilate himself says, I think Jesus is innocent. But Pilate is so weak, he won't take a stand for the truth. Zedekiah, there's obviously something where Zedekiah knows he's wrong. He comes the first time, says, pray for me. He comes the second time, saying, hey, what's the Lord told you? Guess what happens in in chapter 38, which we're not going to get to here tonight. Zedekiah comes to Jeremiah a third time and says, tell me one more time what the Lord says, but do me a favor, Jeremiah, don't tell anybody that I'm here. Zedekiah is weak. And i got to be honest with you. We have a lot of Zedekiahs in the body of Christ. They know what they're supposed to be doing. They know how they're supposed to be living their lives. And they don't do it. Now, we also have a lot of Jeremiahs that speak the truth. And they're the ones that suffer. What happens? Verse 1. Now, Shephetah, the son of Matan... Gedaliah, the son of Pashur, Jukal, the son of Shemai, and Pashur, the son of Malachi, heard the words that Jeremiah had spoken to all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, He who remains in the city shall die by the sword, by famine, by pestilence. But he who gives over to the Chaldeans shall live. His life shall be as a prize to him. They shall live. Thus says the Lord, This city shall surely be given in the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which shall take it. Verse 4, Therefore the princes said to the king, Please let this man be put to death. For thus he weakens the hands of the men of war who remain in the city, and the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them, for this man does not seek the welfare of this people, but their harm. That is a picture-perfect example of the world. We don't want to hear we're wrong, so we're going to tune God out. Don't quote me Bible verses. I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to do it. Have you ever been in that spot spiritually where you knew what the Lord wanted you to do, and you just didn't want to hear it? So anybody that spoke any truth to you, they're just wrong. They're just wrong. They're just judgmental. We said a couple services ago, and I can't remember what it was. Non-believers quote the verse, judge not lest you be judged more than believers do. Non-believers know that verse like the back of their hand. Because anytime you go up to anybody as a Christian and say, I love you, but you can't live your life that way. Oh, you're just judging me. No, I'm not. These guys right here hated what Jeremiah said. So they see an opportunity to silence Jeremiah. Verse 4, kill him. Why? Well, because he's bad morale. What did they want to do to Lazarus when he raised from the dead? They wanted to kill him. What they want to do to the apostles? They wanted to kill him. What do they want to do to silence Jesus? They wanted to kill him. That's what the world wants to do. The world wants to silence truth. The world wants to silence morality. Because that way they don't feel guilty. Have you ever been in a spot of rebellion with the Lord and you walk by your house and you see your Bible lying there and you're like, I should probably read it, I don't want to. How many times have you driven by the church, I should probably go, but I don't want to. I've seen people, and, I'm, and not that I'm a holy, holy person, but I've seen people see me, they haven't been in church in a while, and they run, they don't want to talk to the pastor. 
We, we run from those things that we don't. Jeremiah made these people feel bad. Jeremiah convicted these people. Jeremiah did all this. So we have an opportunity. Let's kill him. Verse 5, Then Zedekiah the king said, Look, he's in your hand, for the king can do nothing against you. What a weak, weak man. Verse 5, He is in your hands. You do what you want. Okay, Zedekiah, this is the guy that you've already gone to twice in chapter 37 to ask advice. This is the guy in chapter 38 you're going to go ask advice. Zedekiah would not take a stand. Verse 6, So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malachi, the king's son, which was in the court of the prison. And they let Jeremiah down with the ropes. And in the dungeon there was no water but mire. So Jeremiah sank in the mire. That's where we're going to stop tonight. Jeremiah sank in the mire. Because let's just be honest. We have, we have two people. Actually, we have three people here. We have Jeremiah that speaks truth, does not back down, and takes a stand for what's right. He's thrown into the dungeon, he's beaten, and he sinks in the mud. That's not the best appealing message for Christianity. You have Zedekiah, a weak man who will not take a stand that seems like he gets away with everything. We, we know what happens to Zedekiah. And then we also have these other guys that are mentioned. We have uh, Shepen, what is it? Uh, Shepahiah, Gedaliah, Jukol, and Pashur. These are just manipulative, nasty guys. Now, seriously, what, what person are you in this story? Hope or Jeremiah's taking a stand for what's right, but understanding that when we take a stand for what's right, we may end up in the mud. That's the truth. Problem is, we're a lot of the times like Zedekiah. We know what we should do, and we're going to get around to it, but I don't want to offend anybody. Man, we don't need more Zedekiahs. But it's really interesting. These guys here that we need to talk about there, Shepatiah, Gedaliah, Jukal, and Pashur. I think it's interesting, because if you read verse 38, your mind just completely, utterly wanders on their names. Let me read you their names in order and what they mean. Shepatiah, Gedaliah, Jukal, and Pashur. Those four guys that wanted to cause trouble. This is what their names mean in order. Jehovah will judge. Jehovah is great. Jehovah is able. Freedom. I like that. The last guy that throws Jeremiah in jail, Pashur, his name means freedom. First guy, Jehovah the judge. Jehovah is great. Jehovah is able, and then freedom. This isn't, God has a plan. Jeremiah is being thrown in the mud by guys that means Jehovah's the judge, Jehovah's great, Jehovah's able, freedom. See, there, there's nothing being missed here in any of this. The Lord knows that Jeremiah is in the mud. Jeremiah knows that he's speaking the truth. Now, the question comes up, and this is what we're going to finish with. Can you go to Psalm 69, please? Psalm 69. So I'm going to finish with. The question comes up is, are you willing to be a Jeremiah? Are you willing to be the one that is picked on, attacked for taking a stand for the Lord? Are you the one that's willing to go into the mud for the Lord? Or are you going to be the Zedekiah? When you're around certain people, God is pretty good. You watch what you say, you watch what you do, you watch what you act, and all that other stuff. Then when you're around other people, you do a certain way too. No. Which one are we going to be? Look here at Psalm 69. We left with Jeremiah being in the mire. Once again, depending on your translation, it's mud, but let's see what it is. Psalm 69, verse 1. To the chief musician said to the lilies, a psalm of David, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire. 
There's no standing. I've come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I'm weary with my crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. They are mighty who would destroy me, being my enemies wrongfully. Though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. God, you know my foolishness and my sins are not hidden from you. Let those who wait for you, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed because of me. Let them not who seek you be confounded because of me, O God of Israel. Because for your sake I have borne reproach. Shame has covered my faith. I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children. Verse 8, when you take a stand for the Lord, there's going to be a breakdown in relationships and suffering. There just is. Verse 9, because zeal for your house has eaten me up and the reproach of those who reproach you have fallen on me. I wept and chastened my soul with fasting. That became my reproach. I also made my sackcloth my garment. I became a byword to them. Those who sit in the gate speak against me and I am song of the drunkards. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, in the acceptable time. O God, in the multitude of your mercy, hear me in the truth of your salvation. Deliver me out of the mire. And let me not sink. See, I I don't know where you're at here tonight. And maybe these 14 verses, maybe you're in the mire. You're in the mud. Maybe you are the one, verse 1, where the waters are up to your neck. You can't stand, verse 2, verse 3. You cry yourself to sleep. You're falling apart. Verse 8, family relationships are going downhill. Verse 14, deliver me out of the mire and let me not sink. Now, I don't like cliffhangers. We're leaving Jeremiah in the mire. Like, oh no, what's going to happen? Okay, He's going to get out. You know that, okay? So, we'll get to that next week. But sometimes in life, you feel like you're left in the mud. Psalm 69 is a psalm for you if you feel like you're stuck in the mud. God is there. I can't stress to you enough. When you take a stand for what's right and the truth, there will be consequences for that. But as you take a stand for what's right and the truth, don't go down to their level. If you're going to be thrown in the mud, let it be the mud that God chose for you and be a light and a witness in all you say and do. And may have any final questions, comments, or before we close up? Yes? It is Nehemiah chapter 6, and I will give you the exact verse here real quick. Nehemiah 6, and the actual verse is verse 8. I sent to him saying, No such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. Nehemiah 6, verse 8. Anybody else got anything? All right, let's close with prayer and let you go. Heavenly Father, good to be here tonight. Help us to take a stand for what's right. Help us, Lord, when we're put into the mud to not lose faith in you. Help us to speak the truth in all we say and do, but speak the truth in love. And Lord, for those Zedekiahs out there that are caught caught between a real relationship with you and just the pull of what's wrong. Help them to take a stand for what's right. And Lord, for those Jeremiahs out there, comfort them, uplift them. Let them know that their work is not done in vain. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. All right, you guys have a good week and God bless.